I had a couple friends who are therapists reach out to me or we were on a walk and say, have you heard of the Enneagram? About the time I started dating my now husband, it began to be coming up in conversations with friends and we thought, okay, let's take a test. Of course, like, like everyone, let's take a test. And I say all the time, my husband is a type four, I'm a social seven, and without this tool, we would not be married, we would not have stayed together. 100% I believe that's true because we are so opposite. And if it weren't for this, the language of this tool, then we would not have made it. Ellie Pugh, welcome to the show. Hi, Bindi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about the Enneagram with you today. Likewise, and I want to dive straight into it because I've heard people using this name before, and I'm going to be honest, I know very little about it. So tell us, Ellie, what is what is this Enneagram thing system that people, part of people are getting obsessed about? <laughs> yes, lots of people like myself are Ennea obsessed, if okay. you will, and... You said it correctly, Enneagram, and actually, um, you know, I was recently reading that the root of this word is Greek, and so that just points to how old the this symbol is. Now, the Enneagram of typology is what we're going to be talking about today, but if you break down the word, it's Ennea, which means nine, and then gram, which means graph, so it's basically a graph of nine things. And the Enneagram we're gonna be talking about today is the Enneagram of typology, which breaks down the nine core motivations of human behavior. And so this tool is a tool to recognize, I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a psychological tool, it's a spiritual tool, and it's scientific in the sense that it gives you um, an idea of your style of ego or personality. Oh. And our personality forms, I mean, some people say even it begins to form in the womb. And then we come into the world and we begin to operate by some automatic, kind of unconscious behaviors and mindsets that we've learned that keep us safe. And um, yeah. that really, it, it tends to cut us off from all these other natural strengths that we have underneath that we have kind of stopped using over time. So the Enneagram helps you to recover those strengths. It's really a, a tool to return to wholeness, to unlock your, your truest potential. Okay, I'm loving this. I'm gonna have so many questions here. Um, I guess first one, because I took the test and we're gonna dive into that. I was intentionally took it very quickly because I didn't want to talk, you know, think too much about it. But just by taking the test, I was like, oh, this is just like a personality test. But what I'm hearing you say is like, no, no, this is more spiritual. There's psychology, like psychology here. Where's where does the spirituality come in? Because this girl loves woo-woo, so tell me. <laughs> yeah, the spiritual the spirituality aspect is um, really when we begin talking about moving from our ego to essence. And so the, the, our type represents ego and um, it represents the box in which we live. Mm -hmm. And we can use the map itself. If you look at, at an Enneagram map or symbol, it looks like a compass. And so how we utilize this tool to move from this egoic way of operating the world, which is fractioned off as like 
kind of I, I'm focusing on me and I'm not realizing that I'm connected to all. And I need to return to essence or spirit or God or divine or however you see it and realize that that is within me. And I just lost connection to it. And so as we figure out our starting place on the map, which is our type, we can move around the map, which helps kind of unlock this new awareness to realizing, oh, this connection is here for me all the time and my type tendencies cause me to be disconnected from myself, cause me to be disconnected from others, and cause me to be disconnected from essence, from the divine. So it's this return back to essence and deep connection. Loving this. I mean, I love talking about ego because it's almost like the mind versus the soul. So many ways you're saying, you know, ego versus the essence, but ultimately... The ego, the mind is what can spin stories, right? And that's what can get us oftentimes off track because it's just like it's trying to keep you safe and and be like protect you. And uh, you're just, you know, I feel like the whole world, myself included, are like, if not once in our lifetime, then multiple times, it's like looking for your path. Who am I and why am I and what's my purpose? But then we like, we try to figure it out with the mind, which is the most, I mean, absurd thing because the mind doesn't know. The mind is the ego. So like... I, I love exploring different systems that help you like become more tuned in and center and be like, so if I am a part of this bigger life force energy, God, universe, we can use different terms for this. Like how, how do I remember? How do I reconnect? So this is going to be a juicy conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I just, you know, I, I firmly believe there are many tools that um, help us uncover this truth, and there's many, many different ways of of saying the same thing. Um, yeah. And so the Enneagram is just one tool that's incredibly powerful because it gives us language. It's like it's like we need um, the glasses to to see the road ahead, and it allows us it you know we, to put on those glasses, and now we can see more clearly. Oh, this is the path, and this is the direction, and kind of build on it from there. Yeah. And I'm going to take the advantage of understanding. So I think throughout the podcast, we'll run through all the types. So before our conversation, um, I run the test quickly and I basically got the type eight and type three. So both at the equal percentage. So basically the system was like, I don't know. (laughs) It's exactly the same. I was like, okay, well, what does this even mean? that like what are these two different types and is it normal to get them at the same level of of percentage what is that yes yeah and and i'm so glad you bring this up because i want to make sure to talk about how do i figure out my type and you know in in particularly our western world we want a quick fix right we want like a pill (laughs) fix all my problems and Unfortunately, we have um, kind of watered down or stripped this tool of some of its sacred um, power by creating all of these quick assessments online. And this is a tool of self-discovery. And oftentimes it can take a while for um, your unconscious to reveal to you your type because we often 
look at just the behaviors on the surface instead of understanding well, what's the root cause? What is my motivation that's driving these behaviors? So on the surface, um, a, a three and an eight can look really similar, but they're doing these things for very different reasons. And so an online assessment is going to be asking you questions that are really, it's trying to, um, you're going to be at answering based on your behaviors. So what's on the surface? So the results that you get, um, they could potentially be misleading, but they're a good starting place. So I always say, if you take an online assessment to figure out your type, simply use it as an entry point to this tool and then go study all nine types. Mm, and okay. specifically beginning like with maybe the top three results that you received, if you took some tests out there, like just say, this is your type and they don't give you a breakdown of percentage on how you answered, but okay. just don't let the, don't give your agency of your type over to the test. And what I love to do with people is this expert typing interview, which is a two hour conversation in order to dig into your type and to figure out your type, because I can ask follow up questions, um, to say, you know, you might say, uh, yes, I'm very assertive. And I'll say, okay, well, um, tell me what that looks like for you. Or you might say, no, I'm not very good at displaying weakness or vulnerability. And I might say, okay, well, like, let's talk about that. Can you give me some examples? And so it's also um, the thing I like about the typing interview with individuals is I'm looking at body language. Hi. I'm looking at the nonverbals. I'm looking at the verbal cues. And all of those things indicate, indicate to me what type you might be. So regarding the three and eight, and I'm a seven, all three of those numbers are in the assertive stance. So we are people that go towards things we want. We go towards others. We tend to, um, when we're talking to individuals, we notice that we're moving towards them and they're moving away. And we're kind of leaving them to do the things. And we're like, running okay. away from us. Yeah. And then, you know, synergetically with, with three sevens and eights, I get along with them so well because we do have these kind of bigger presence, uh, bigger presences with people. And that's not so intimidating for another three or, or the, a three or an eight with a seven, mm -hmm. whereas other types might be intimidated by the big energy that we bring. Um, yeah. So regarding, you know, breaking down, are you a three or are you an eight? We can talk about that now or we can, we can go through the different types and as we go talk about the differences. But one thing I will say is um, this is, also scientifically proven, we talk about this a lot, that we are three brain beings, which means we have a mental brain, we have an emotional brain, and we have a gut brain. Mm -hmm. And um, within the Enneagram, each type falls under one center of intelligence. And so type eight, nine, and one are gut types. Type two, three, and four are heart types. And type six, seven, and eight are head types. And we can break that down as we go, but that might really help to differentiate. Are you a three or are you an eight? Because a three is in the heart center and an eight is in the gut. Okay. I'm loving this. And, and I did, okay. I didn't read upon it. I had to listen to a podcast that broke it down. Cause I'm like, I got to yeah. listen to things. I cannot read. <laughs> yeah. Or it just 
hard for me to, though I probably, and I would love for you to expand on it, I, for the most part, resonated with the eight, with some, ex like, one exception, which we can discuss, but, and there was okay. a very small part of me that resonated with three, but in human design, that would have been, so in a three, there was that, um, not feeling worthy enough and that was just the one part so in human design i have an open ego so it's like that was basically describing my open ego and everything else was basically about and you can obviously expand more but what i got from the eights was like control freak doesn't show vulnerability doesn't even know they have emotions and i'm like yes <laughs> that's me <laughs> totally totally i was just wondering what is the best way of breaking down these types so just even understanding what we're talking about here um shall we start with an eight or i i trust you in in this process of understanding yes that. yes okay so let's start with type eight we like to start with type eight when we talk about the types because they are a part of the body center they also are grounded and they help us. What's crazy about an eight is an ego, they have this big armor over their heart. And um, people, so then people perceive them as if they are um, if not vulnerable, that they might be um, ruthless in a way and scary and not soft at all. But what we find is when a type eight does this deep work, we see that they have the biggest hearts on the Enneagram. So when they move towards essence and they get in touch with their virtue of innocence, they become like the biggest teddy bears of all. And I find that with eights, when I work with them, almost in every single session, they cry because those that vulnerability, that, that desire to um, be seen and and for that heart to be open is right there. They just need someone to sit with them. They need to feel safe so that they can take off their armor and show their heart. So we like to start with eights to kind of like just quickly go to that to that place. Um, and eights can like handle the the direct on the spot uh, kind of calling out. Um, and so an eight. Let's talk about. I think a good way to go through these is really um, discussing the core motivations of each type. Mm -hmm. And so before I dive into that, I want to kind of break that down. So it, it, let's talk about ego formation. So when we're younger, um, all of us, we are born and ultimately, and we can say, you know, we are, it's debatable on when our ego begins to form, but let's say it even begins to form in the womb. And, um, and we know this to be true because based on a mother's state and let's say how much or little she is able to feed her body, the fetus, the baby adjusts to how much they're being fed. So their metabolism begins to adjust to the environment and all ego formation is adjusting to the environment hmm. and adapting. And so our ego begins to form and it's really trying to decide is this behavior going to keep me safe and comfortable? And over time, we begin, we each begin to learn based on our own environments, which way we need to show up in order to feel safe and comfortable. And we get, begin to abandon certain traits um, that we, we just realize aren't as useful as these others. So that core motivation is based on 
those tendencies that we learn keep us most safe. And so our, that becomes our, like the fixation of our ego. And really this is scientific in the sense that like the pathways, the neural pathways in our brain, the, um, you know, if you live in Texas, it, the highway I-35 is like this massive highway and that, and so our brain builds this massive highway. It's the path of least resistance. And that's really like what our core motivation begins to be focused on. And so for type eight, the core motivation is to avoid weakness or losing control, being out of control. 100%. Yeah, so everything (laughs) they do is driven by this underlying need to remain in control and like avoid showing weakness to the world. So for whatever reason, Bindi, when she was younger, learned, okay, like, I need to grow up quickly. I need to be strong. And that it, those are the things that make me feel most safe and comfortable. And um, a type eight, you know, they, they, t- they love direct communication. They want people to be honest with them. They do tend to have a really, really harsh, cruel inner critic, like this um, kind of uh, authority figure that is just really mean. And, and harsh, not gentle at all. It's like, come on, get it together, you idiot. And yes. it breaks my heart. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's so interesting because when I'm working with an eight, they see nothing wrong with like that, that asshole in their head. I don't understand. Yes. Yes. And while a one has a very strong inner critic too, um, I don't find it to be as, as, um, harsh as the inner voice of an eight. And so um, that's kind of, that's the ego of the eight. The passion that drives the eight is this, this lust. It's called lust. And it's this insatiable desire for your desires. And it's this inability um, to recognize that you, that you have the same limitations as everyone else, but that ego of the eight bucks against it. So the growth path for the eight is to get to realign with their, virtue of innocence and getting in touch with this little, little version of themselves that is okay being cared for, that asks for help, that becomes more gentle. And through that connection to essence, they become more vulnerable and realize there's deep power in vulnerability. Very scary. I feel like I've been having this conversation. Yes, like I think oh, this has been my journey for the last 12 months. And I see a lot of what you're saying in human design too. Like just knowing my human designs, like 100% that. And uh, the first time I heard the, not the first time I heard the word vulnerable, but like when I was in Austin, Texas, you guys are all very woo. And everyone's yeah. like, surrender, you got to be vulnerable. And I was like, I'm much rather controlled. Thank you very much. It's not how you build a business. That's not how you achieve goals. What are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm like coming to the other side of it. It's like, I don't think this is serving me all that much anymore. So what's, yeah. what's on the other side of that? I think it's not sure how long that's going to take. Cause there's still like you're, you can hurt me if I let go. So I don't want to be hurt. So what do you mean I got to be more vulnerable? Makes no logical sense for my ego. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And you said in the beginning that like, you know, if we try to um, change through logic, hmm. it doesn't really work. 
And so this path of getting in touch with of your soul, right? And like this yeah. for an eight, this posture of innocence. What does that mean? How do I practice showing up this way? Can I test this out with someone that I trust and see is the result deeper intimacy and through this deeper intimacy and this knowingness is that, am I actually getting what my heart desires? Probably because our ego keeps going for this thing that it learned when we were very, very young, that like you said, is not serving me anymore. So how can I learn to let it go and begin to believe new stories, see new perspectives? I'm curious for you. And when you say, um, you know, it's just not serving me anymore, what ways have you noticed it not serving you or it kind of getting in the way? Well, I think what... My desire is for more deeper relationships in terms of us friends circle, in terms of finding a partner, a husband, like I want a family. And I think you always, or I always think like no one can see how I'm operating, but like even the people who are quite tuned in, I don't know me that well. Like they immediately are like, yes, you're very personable, but you have 3000 fortresses around you. And I'm like, yes, 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 I do. So I just know it's, you know, it's to, for me to get to what I want, what I say I want, and I do want that, like, I'm just going to have to figure this fortress situation out. Otherwise, like, how do you build any type of intimacy with anyone around you if you don't let a single person in, which for sure is me. So, you know, that's why, otherwise I wouldn't change it crazy. If there's no reason I would be like, this is safe. Why would I, why would I change? (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, for an eight, what is so powerful in the work that we do is there's this journey of returning to your soul child in the work that we do. This inner child work, but if you look at the map, there are arrows. Um, Sometimes if you see an Enneagram symbol, you won't see arrows. So you want to look for the symbol that has the arrows because that's the, that's the original map. And the arrow line that points to your number so that line that if you go travel against the arrow to whatever type that is, that represents your soul child number. Mm. And for an eight, that number at that point is two. And so what we must do in this growth is move this journey backwards to heal the wounds of our past, to reclaim those tendencies of little Vindy that you left behind in order to survive in the world, to practice showing up in the world as a two, but like a healthy two. And then once you've spent a lot of time there, you can then move backward or move forward to eight and integrate those two energies. And then eventually you would move to your forward number, which is 0.5, but we won't even go into that. But this journey for an eight to get in touch with their little selves, oh man, little Vendi has so much to teach you about the beauty and like returning to play, returning to a place where you didn't have to be so brave and responsible. You were free. You were free to trust. You trusted. You believed in the goodness of others. And I notice you, you know, maybe getting a, a little emotional, but... Yes, I hauled it in. 
live streaming the crying will not cut this out so you guys can see what's happening good. yeah yeah it's so good it's so good and like it just I feel like um it's my life's mission for the world to know that eights are so emotional they're so passionate they have so much love to give and the the anger that you might think that they're you know bringing to the table is really just passion and it's it's fighting for justice and fairness and they just they they love so deeply so um, I can see that see that with you thank you and actually anger was the point that I read and I was like you know what I don't think I get angry with others but with myself for sure so that was the one point of the eight I was like not sure and I don't think that's how people perceive me but like that's what you would call negative self-talk like that's like that would be daily motivation what do you mean get angry with yourself tell yourself you're crap at something and then do something about it like yeah obviously that's like for someone like me obviously that's how you motivate yourself what do you mean you're gonna cuddle yourself to success I don't understand that concept (laughs) really absolutely and you know and the other thing we talk about um I have a a nine week intro it's like an introduction but it's anything but an introduction to this deep work Um, I'm actually rebranding the name of the program to be from ego to essence Mm. and the first week we talk about your story because I think it's really important to honor the cultural overlays, the parental overlays, um, the gender overlays that we have that also shape how we show up. So typically women eights are not as um, overtly angry as their a male eight, just because women have been conditioned to hold back their anger. You know, it's, we get stigmatized if we are angry in the world or angry in the workplace. We're like, you know, labeled witches. And um, whereas a man is kind of uh, celebrated for that, that, you know, autocratic dominance. So that also plays into how you show up and how you might not completely resonate to the full description of a type because these are tendencies. And the other thing is we won't dig into this, but there are more like 54 different Enneagram types. And so the second level is the subtypes. There's 27 subtypes, which means there's three types of each type and Those are based on the instinctual drives that we all possess. We tend to have one instinctual drive that's more dominant. And then we get the 54 different types, um, which is showing our instinctual sequencing. So which which instinct is dominant, which one is fairly stable, and which one is repressed. And so there's six different variations of those sequences per type. So for you, it's possible you might be a social eight, which tends to be the least 
kind of outwardly angry of the three A's. They're really focused on caring for their people. They are like kind of mother ducks. Once you're under their wing, they just live and breathe to keep you safe and protect you. They fight your fights. And um, that's, that's the thing they focus on is caring for and protecting those that are in their flock. So that, 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 that anger underneath is what drives that behavior of the social aid. Yeah. Okay. This is very interesting. So where, and we'll for sure go all into all times. I'm curious, where did this, where did the system come from? Because you're now, and this makes sense, of course, like there's no way we can divide the whole world into nine types. And this is the same thing with human design or astrology, right? Like, yes, on the surface, but then like when someone runs your specific chart, like it goes, it gets crazy and very specific. So where did this body of knowledge even come from? Yeah, you know, um, there's debate on the origins of this tool, Um, But we can see these nine core personalities show up in literature dating back to even Homer's Odyssey. So the nine islands that Homer travels uh, represent these nine different personalities. And my teacher, Beatrice Chestnut, writes about that in her book, The Complete Enneagram. And then the symbol itself was formed many, many centuries, like centuries ago, like it dates back to even the first century and, um, you know, like 300 to 700 AD. And then you move forward and you come to the early 1900s and Gurdjieff um, is a Sufi mystic who began to formulate some of the concepts of the Enneagram. He particularly worked with centers Mm -hmm. and um, focused on really the kind of the movement from this ego to essence. Then you take um, from from Gurdjieff's work, building on that Oscar Ichazo just started to develop develop the Enneagram of typology. He created the Enneagram of fixations in the... um, like late 1960s, early 1970s, and then Claudia Naranjo learned from him and really formulated the Enneagram of typology as we talk about it today. So putting it, translating it from, I guess, into English and kind of to be digestible for lay people and for our Western society. So, um, it's continuing to evolve. We're continuing to learn more and more about the beautiful power of, of this framework. Yeah, honestly, it always amazes me how there's so much knowledge we've almost forgotten that's been here for such yeah. a long time, from ancient times, and we somehow have forgotten about it. We're rediscovering it. And I mean, again, maybe just a part of human exploration of sooner or later, we all have to go through and questioning again, like, who are we and why are we and all of that? And maybe it's just a part of it. We're, we're reconnecting to trying to figure ourselves out. Yes. I think that's my personality test. Even the ones that don't have, let's say, a spiritual routine, they're so popular because we're all trying to figure ourselves out. Why do I behave this way? What's happening with me? You know, like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I? And there's nothing more profound. I always say this, like, when you feel like someone sees your soul, oh, best thing it's really amazing best thing yeah and 
let's let's dive into so we discussed the eight type let's dive into the others as well so we're helpful to anyone who's listening and trying to really understand the depths of themselves or their type the the ego triggers let's say and their ways of being so i'm very curious to explore the other types as well yeah so important that we cover all of these i wanted to spend more time talking about eight since it seemed like the one that you resonated with most so the next type on the map is type nine. And um, I'm not using all of the terms that people have get, like the names that people have given these types because they don't always resonate. So I'm just giving you the description of the type structure. Yeah. Four. So for a nine, the core motivation is to avoid conflict and to create harmony. So they move through the world. They are also in the body center. They, be, they tend to be people that are, kind of, they've fallen asleep to their inner world because if they're in touch with their opinions, their desires, then they may, that may cause conflict. Mm. And they do, over time, they learn, they, they lose connection from themselves. They're kind of the archetype of this path that we all fought like travel down with ego development is losing connection with our true essence but nine represents that and so their path of growth is moving from this passion of sloth which is doing all the things but the right thing yeah. um, and distracting themselves from themselves towards this virtue of right action which um, allows them to get in touch with who they are for the thing with the things that they care about. And they can move confidently and quickly into bold action, whether that's standing up for themselves, whether it's knowing what they need to do and going after it, regardless of how hard it is to do that. Um, and when a nine does this work, they become the most powerful powerful number on the Enneagram. Yeah. And when you meet a nine who is an ego, they seem like the most meek. They're the most quiet. They're the most reserved. And they have really the least amount um, to say in a social setting because they don't want to interject. But when they get in touch with their essence, they realize they're made for great big things. And um, it's so beautiful to see that. Very interesting. So for type one, we'll just finish the, the body types. Um, type one is the third type of the body center. And a type one, um, their core motivation is to avoid mistakes or being bad. And um, what I mean by that is like kind of morally bad based on what they deem to be morally right. And so they're your um, people that in ego are straight A students in, most of the times. They are very composed. They tend to be um, rigid and they might not be outwardly rigid because yes, they're part of the body triads. They have anger underneath, but they're pushing that anger down and um, they're kind of constantly irritated that they have an idea that the world isn't as it should be. So they're, they tend to be perfectionistic in the sense that they're striving towards perfection 
and they're either perfecting their own selves, their environment, or they're like the model of perfection, or they try to perfect others. Um, I put a lot of energy in that. So their path is recognizing the passion underneath, which is anger for them. Even though their anger is the, mo the, the biggest emotion of the body center, so for eight, nines, and ones, but for a one, it is the passion. So getting in touch with that anger that's actually underneath, that frustration, that irritation, allowing that to come up so that they can let go of it and move towards their virtue of serenity mm. and to learn to relax, to play, to uh, create these harmonious environments that when they get in touch with their essence, they're able to bring forward to the world to take life a little less seriously. And it's really beautiful to see a one doing that work because we can all sense the tension in a one. They're the people that might be smiling at you, but you feel the smoke coming out of their ears. And you're like, hmm, something's going on here. You're not as happy as you're acting. Yeah. So those are the body types. Shall we dig into the heart types? For sure. So this is the, you said the underlying emotion being the anger for the body types. For the body type. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So we have heart types now. What are, how are, how do those behave? Yes. So the underlying emotion for heart types is shame or sadness. Okay. And so I do want you to think about as we're talking about type three, just there are similarities, but which one do you feel like you relate to most? So um, for type two, the core motivation is really to avoid rejection um, or abandonment. And while all heart types really focus on that, twos focus on it most. They believe, they learned at a young age that in order to get their needs met, which is love um, and affection than they need to do for others. And so they're the helpers. They're the ones that believe the way to get my needs met is, or the way the world works is I do for you and then you should do for me instead of being able to advocate for their needs and share their emotions. So they tend to repress those emotions so that they don't do anything that disconnects them from that love they're desperately seeking. Mm. Um, for a two, they tend to be, their passion is, is pride, but it's really false humility. So it's the people that think they don't have as many needs as others. So they're incessantly showing up to help you. They'll go over and beyond to be there. They're, they're the ones that ask like just wonderful questions and they kind of go blank when you begin asking them questions, they get uncomfortable. They're like, no, 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 we don't have to spend time talking about me. And their work is to move towards true humility, the virtue of humility. So not false humility, but realizing they do have as many needs as others, that they need to get in touch with um, like being not superhuman, but human and being able to articulate and state those needs and desires. So the difference between a nine and a two is a two, they know um, that they're feeling a lot underneath. They just tend to kind of repress those feelings where a nine, they turn inward and they're like, I don't 
know what I feel or what I think. I look to others to tell me what I know or what I think. Um, and so then the three, the second number in the heart center is really, um, they try to avoid failure at all costs. Um, and they really try to avoid like being truly found out under the surface. Like what if everyone knows I'm not as successful or um, as, I, as I portray to be. And so they spend all of their energy curating these images that attract what they need. So that might be love, that might be success, but they tend to be the ones that rise to the top um, in everything that they do. And the way it's different than an eight is that a three is really attuned to others and their way um, and, and feelings. And so where an eight might be kind of like a bowl in a china shop, just like they're in motion, getting things done. Threes have this keen ability of surveying a space really quickly and knowing how to strategically, politically rise to the top. Mm-hmm. They um, have a lot of emotions underneath. Oftentimes threes are like, I can't believe I'm in the heart center. I don't feel like I have feelings. <laughs> the, re- the reality is they're way more focused on relationships. And um, one of the determining factors for a three is, and it, this seems similar to an eight, um, but a three is really, they believe that they must be present for things to go well. An eight, they feel that, but they're more focused on like righting wrongs and kind of fairness and justice. And so their mental loop is more focused on like, I got to tell that person what's up versus a three. They tend to be the most workaholics of all of the types. And they're just really, really focused on um, image and success. Questions, any questions about determining like the difference between two of those two? I think probably eight resonates more. The only thing when I read about three was that or I know I do this. So this is in human design, my open ego, which I'm very aware of now. It's just like that actually deep feeling of unworthiness. Um, it's not a heart center actually. So I have a filled in heart center, meaning that's not where the trigger lies in human design, but it's like that sense of unworthiness to not feel that way and to prove myself I am worthy, I shall overachieve. I shall be at the top and I'll perform everything and like meet my own expectations just so I don't have to face that deep rooted fear of not, you know, like not feeling worthy enough. So that was, that was sort of what I felt about threes when I read about them. But yeah, as you're saying, they're more relationship focused. I, I, I don't see myself, I'm typically a lone wolf and this how shall things go. And if I want it to be this way, this is how it's going to be. And like, I don't care. There's no talking me out of it. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. There's just different energies with a a three and an eight. Um, Any of my three friends, they don't even know this, but when I'm with them, I feel big heart energy from them. Mm. Whereas an eight, it's just that energy is all in the gut and they're like ready to take action. Whereas a three will sit there and try to calculate 
with you emotionally and connect um, in order to win you over. They know how to do that and eights don't know how to do that. Okay, interesting. So that's kind of the difference there. Awesome. And then um, type four is the last number of the heart triad. And uh, so a type four, um, they really try to avoid at the deepest level this like, it's this is so hard to explain because everything a four does is like opposite than every all that the rest of us do, but they try to avoid deep suffering. Now, I will say that the defense mechanism of the four like makes fours look like they're always suffering. So they find comfort in melancholy, in sadness, in pain, um, in like believing that they're bad. Um, that they're broken, that they're defective. They, they, they tend to point out the things that are missing in a situation. They're glass half empty versus glass half full types of individuals. But that perspective tends to prevent them from doing the deeper work of connecting to that original moment or those moments in time when they were little that taught them that I must be bad. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's something that has happened over time that they find comfort in this, this like lower level of suffering that prevents them from then going further to heal that, that place of suffering so that they might be better. So they might believe that I'm not defective, that they might see the glass half full instead of half empty. That that desire to kind of sit and stay comfortable in pain and suffering keeps them from doing the deeper work of really leaning into that place, that, that point in time that caused them to feel bad or defective or like it's all their fault. Mm. So I I say that fours tend to look like Eeyores. Um, like you what? Know, every, an Eeyore. So um, Winnie the Pooh, do you know the donkey? Uh, in Winnie the Pooh. Him, though, so yes. <laughs> that is, yes. Okay, so um, I don't know what the translation is, but the donkey in Winnie yeah. the Pooh that's yeah. just got this rain cloud over his head and can he's okay. just wah, wah, woe is me. Yeah. Um, and that perspective always draws the attention back to the four instead of them waking up to their inner goodness so that they can let go of that perspective and and let go of those deeper emotions, not be controlled by them, and they can step into really fully showing up um, in their life. Gotcha. So body types, heart types, what do we have left? Now we have the head types. Yes. So type Five. So type five, um, they typically are, this is not true for all five subtypes, but I would say most often fives are introverted because they uh, try to avoid at all costs, basically their, um, their resources being taken from them. They have this belief that they only have a limited amount of time, 
resources and energy and they believe that the world and people emotions are going to take from them mm -hmm. so they live with this inner sense of scarcity like kind of they're they can be really anxious so the the main emotion of the head center is fear and so we're fearful of either you know fearful of our resources running out or as a six fearful fear of fear itself and a seven is really a fear of pain or discomfort and so we tend to everything we do um i would say there's like this anxious energy that comes out and you might have sensed that in just me like kind of this anxiousness of ah, like i gotta like figure all this out and that's how any head type comes across to people so for five, um, their work is to recognize that, so their, their passion is avarice, and I guess I didn't go through the passions of three and four, but their passion is avarice, which is again, this belief that I have, I need to hoard all of my resources, time, energy, um, and if I, if I don't do that, I'll die. Mm -hmm. There's just this like, internal belief <laughs> that like these things are going to take from me and I will be, my energy will be sucked up and I'll just wither away. They need to learn to move to their path, their, their virtue of non-attachment, which is this posture of opening up your heart to believe that there is an unlimited amount of, of energy and possibility and that emotions don't have to take um, all from you to realize that emotions are not rational, mm -hmm. that they are inherently irrational and that is okay. And so through connecting with their virtue, they open up their heart and they can really have these deep connections that they really long for, but their ego has really disconnected them from that opportunity. Yeah. Um, for type six, their core motivation is to really, um, they, they want to avoid danger. They want to avoid their inner, um, sense of, of doubt and fear. And so their defense mechanism is projection. So they project this inner anxiety out onto others, which then actually perpetuates more fear in them. And they believe that the fear and the scary things are coming from outside of them mm -hmm. when it's really this inner turmoil that they're experiencing, um, that they just don't want, they don't want to be aware of the fact that, that they're kind of creating this anxiety for themselves yeah. and their passion is actually fear. So it is, it's fear of everything. And they begin to, they doubt themselves. They have a hard time trusting others. Um, they're always looking for what could go wrong. So they're really great risk managers. Um, but that fixation on danger and what could go wrong, they tend to be create self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm. They're looking for what could go wrong. And so things do. Mm. They begin to believe no matter what, things are going to go wrong and there's nothing I can do about it. But when they get in touch with their virtue of courage, they learn to move forward in the face of fear. They learn to open up their heart. Oftentimes sixes, they have this posture of being contracted because they're trying to protect their heart. 
And a six can open up their shoulders when they get in touch with their essence. They can move forward with courage and confidence um, and trust that they have everything they need uh, to make it through instead of that fear holding them back or getting them stuck in analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And do we have sevens left? I mean, you touched upon sevens and now you're a seven, right? Yeah, one more number. So for sevens, finally. And we, I think it's like a cruel joke that we put sevens at the end because we're so impatient uh, and we are like, no, me, 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 let's talk about me. Like, I can't wait to jump in. I'm so excited. But that process allows sevens to sit patiently back and listen and wait for uh, you know, their turn. And so a seven, the core motivation is to avoid discomfort um, and to really stay stimulated so that I don't have to sit with the pain and the anxiety that comes up when I begin to slow down. Because if I begin to slow down, then there becomes this kind of void and that void represents pain and discomfort. And I'm worried if I go there, I may get stuck and I may never come out of it. Mm. So the way that we show up then is like these happy-go-lucky puppy dogs <laughs> that are constantly reframing negatives to positives. Um, we are, you know, kind of, we're people that are jack of all trades. We want to stay pursuing new um, ventures, new ideas. Oftentimes sevens are entrepreneurs, but we are passion of gluttony, which is like only doing what we like causes us to jump from one thing to another because we get this high on feeling excited about novelty and newness and that mental simulation just like really gets us off. And so we are just like <laughs> jumping from one thing to the next, but all of a sudden we've got all these plates spinning and we can't keep them all going. Mm. And so we don't finish things we started. Our life looks like a chaotic mess. We're kind of like the Tasmanian devil, just like, this tornado coming through life, um, always focused on the future. And so we're never in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And it's all out of this desire to like get the most out of life. We, do, we have FOMO like crazy. We don't want to miss out, but we end up missing out when we keep operating from ego because we're never fully present in anything we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so our virtue is this virtue of sobriety. And what that means is committing, mm. starting something and finishing it, doing one thing at a time, stop multitasking, um, to begin to do things we don't like, because that's just a part of the human experience. Like we need to hang up our, our jacket when we take it off, when we get home, we need to put our keys back in a place. We need to clean the dishes or pay our bills, go to the grocery store, get gas, all these things that sevens hate doing because they're not fun. And so we avoid it. But then what happens is our, 
our external world represents our internal world and our external world is this chaotic hot mess and that's really reflective of what's going on underneath wow and um so when sevens really get in touch with that sobriety they're able to get what our heart our higher self deeply desires which is deep joy because we realize that deep joy is available in every moment and it doesn't matter that we don't have to go like manufacture it it's right here for us to to tap into and enjoy right for us oh I, I really appreciate you diving into all the types and I feel like with many systems not with just this one what we can start doing is like well I'm just this way because this is my type so just take me as I am and uh, my guess is, I mean, you already touched upon it as you delve a bit deeper into the eights. It's like we're actually supposed to move from ego, you know, more into like our bodies, our souls. So once we have this knowledge and if this is resonating and hitting with someone like, oh, yeah, I'm that number. What am I supposed to do with this? You mentioned one thing. It's like, OK, look the opposite, like go back. Right. So the arrow. Um yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take it from there because I don't know. So not now I know. I mean I've known I've known for a while. <laughs> well, you know, whether whether the change is super quick, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's such a good question, and I get that all the time, and that's why a lot of people end up doing coaching with me because it's more of like um it's a course slash I'm I'm guiding you towards seeing yourself more clearly so that then you can actually put words to who it is you want to be and the life, what's the life you really want to build, get really, really clear on that. But this is a tool to help us move towards wholeness. So if our type represents a fraction of our wholeness, mm -hmm. then moving along the map and beginning to uncover and reveal all these strengths and energies that lie underneath the surface that are connected to our true nature, our true essence, that's the journey that we're moving towards. But then how can this help me? Like, well, what? this is all kind of this floofy language yeah. of like, ethereal heady language okay well i'm a nurse and so i'm really passionate about how can this tool help us heal what can help us heal personally by getting more in touch with what is it i really do think or feel getting really clear about that delineation between this is my habitual operating pattern but these things are keeping me stuck and I want to move over here. And so helping me, those get in touch with their emotions that maybe they believe they don't have, but we all have, them. we all experience anger. We all do all these things. We just maybe have relegated those tendencies into our, our shadow or our unconscious. It helps us to deepen our relationships because all of a sudden I now can articulate to someone, Hey, um, you know, I got really angry or I got really quiet or I um, didn't call and I've been reflecting on why that is and here's why. It also grows your compassion for others because if you know someone else's type, now all of a sudden you're not ascribing these behaviors to the whole person. Mm. You're saying, oh, 
they've learned to show up this way because this is just their eager, their ego. It's their habitual pattern. It's not all of them. And now I understand why they do this that's so different from the way I operate. It can help you professionally as far as identifying the ways in which you have self-sabotage yourself at work, um, can help you improve and level up your leadership by beginning to embrace these new strengths. They're going to help you become more deeply connected to all that is here, to the divine, to a purpose. And I really think of um, our virtue as our North Star. It's like the place we're moving towards and now each individual gets to define for themselves through this new language that they have to better describe themselves what that path looks like. Um, so, I mean, it can help you in so many different areas. And as a nurse, what is so cool is some of my patients, by doing this work, letting go of some of these habitual behaviors, they are healing from certain diseases. Their blood work is improving. They're coming off medications, not only just like anxiety or depression medications, they're coming off of diabetic medications. They're coming off of all of these, you know, medications that they've needed to take because they haven't gotten to the root problem that's causing the disease. To make this a bit more practical, because um, you sort of mentioned when we were talking about type eight, go and look what's at the opposite arrow and you said there is a two. I'm sure this kind of applies to everyone. So can you help us understand why we're supposed to do that? Look at the, whatever the opposite end is. What is, what's that journey about? Yes, yes. So practically, what are the steps? Now I know my number, what am I supposed to do with this? So really recommend learning about, this is the three-step uh, framework that I teach people to help um, become more really like flexible instead of rigid in your personality. Mm -hmm. And to begin kind of separating from ego so you can begin to sense what is my true self and how is that showing up? And so it's first learning about the passion of your type, the fixation of your type, and the typical type tendencies associated with your type. And I want you to spend time. When I say spend time, I mean months, years, <laughs> decades, looking for, observing yourself in ego. And how did, did those things show up? today? Is it showing up right now? And all of this work, all this mindfulness work helps us move from a reactive state to a responsive state. And this is scientifically true as far as neuroscience goes. Reactive state is from when we operate from our reptilian brain. And our ego is motivated from our reptilian brain. Instead, we can consciously move up to our neocortex and choose to respond consciously in every moment of our life. And so as we begin to learn about the tendencies of our type, the passion fixation, when we notice those default habitual patterns showing up, we can then practice the opposite. And so what the opposite would be is also learning about your types virtue 
and holy idea. We haven't even gotten into holy ideas. But when we can recognize as an eight, when lust is coming up and it's showing up like I'm, um, maybe I am, it could even be shopping too much or drinking too much, talking too much. Instead of acting on that, you can move into the energy, the, the posture of innocence, which is like, hey, this might be bad for me. Like, how could I actually accept that there is a limit here and realize that like, I can't handle all of this, so I might need to hold back. And then it's that little posture of like, I'm a little person. Like, I don't need all of this or whatever it might be. And so that's like the spiritual work, moving from your passion to your virtue or your fixation to your holy idea. And then we can also move around the map. Mm -hmm. So in order to become less fixed um, in our type, we we can move from our dominant number back to our soul child. So against our arrow, Mm -hmm. spend time learning about your soul child number, learning about... um, as an eight, you know, a type two is someone who's a feeler. (laughs) They want to serve others like out of the pureness of their heart. They are, um, you know, way, they don't, they don't want to come off as like powerful. They want to come off as loving and supportive. And so, and they're gentle. They're like these, they're these just mother types, you know, this like these sweet mother types. So if you get in touch with that energy, that's also similar to the energy of essence in a lot of ways. And so it helps you to begin to dismantle the this fixed strength, that, that armor of the eight. And so there's that movement back to soul child, and then we can move forward to our forward number. But um, and the the energy and the strengths of that forward number can also be really helpful. However, we really can't move to that forward number until we've done all of this other work. Because if we try to move to that energy of that forward number, oh, before we've done all this other work, we just tend to kind of botch it. We, we mess it up. And so that forward number for an eight is type five. And a type five is, you know, they're not going to speak up. They're um, okay being by themselves. They are quiet, they're really, really focused. And a type eight has a really hard time with that intense mental focus. So they try to go there before they've really gotten in touch with innocence and the energy of the type two. They're just going to get impatient and try to like willfully. What's the forward? Yes, past. Yes, everything else. Sure. Yes. We're just in 60s. Let's take this as my therapy session. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and you know, that's what's so powerful about the Enneagram is so many of my clients say, and this is not a knock on therapy because I'm a big believer that we all need therapy, but there are specific things in our life and trauma that we can utilize the therapy space to heal the, that trauma. And then something like the Enneagram and Enneagram coaching helps you um, to get more clear on how this is true for you. It, it's constructive. 
it gives you like steps instead of going to therapy where you're kind of coming up with, I don't know what I feel or what I really think or what I should do next. Mm. And in the coaching space, we're able to more constructively guide you on those next steps. Got it. So what I'm curious about is what pulled you into this? Where did your journey begin? Begin yeah. in Ram. So I had a couple friends who are therapists reach out to me or we were on a walk and say, have you heard of the Enneagram? You would really love it, I think, because I majored in psychology. I've always just been so interested in human behavior. And um, I just kept saying, no, I was too distracted, too busy. I didn't know, you know what they were talking about. And then about the time I started dating my now husband, it began to be, uh, you know, coming up in conversations with friends and we thought, okay, let's, let's take a test. Of course, like, like everyone, let's take a test and took a test. And then as a seven, if something hooks our attention, if it hooks our attention, we go all in and that's kind of, that's what happened. And I say all the time, My husband is a type four. He's a sexual four. I'm a social seven. And without this tool, we would not be married. We would not have stayed together. 100%. I believe that's true because we are so opposite. And if it weren't for this, the language of this tool that helps us to grow and understanding compassion of one another. um, And also helps us to challenge our own perspective then we wouldn't, we would not have made it. Um, and so that was, you know, originally my introduction to it. And then it began to be so influential in my other relationships, healing with my parents in how I approach business, um, friendships, finances, my own health and self-care. It's been so healing for me from a spiritual standpoint So it had changed my life. And I thought, I have got to teach this to others. This is such an incredible tool. So about three years ago, I got officially trained through the Chestnut Pies Enneagram Academy and started my business. And it's been incredible because I went into nursing to help people heal, but our Western healthcare system is that's not its objective. It just puts a band-aid on problems. And I've really found that this is a tool that is really, really helping people heal in all areas of their life. So I obviously am any any upset. (laughs) I love that. So for those who are getting very intrigued and you picked their curiosity, how can they reach out? Are there maybe resources you can offer even to get started? Where can they go to learn more, to connect with you, to dive into this crazy system? I'm so glad you asked that because my website is beyondyourtype.co, not .com, .co. And if you, I have a resources page on my website, which has all of my favorite resources of how to get started. I also am very active on Instagram. And so they can follow me at beyond Enneagram. 
Um, and I, I also, you can find my LinkedIn from my website, uh, beyondyourtype.co. And on LinkedIn, I try to talk more about how can we use the Enneagram in the workplace because I also do corporate workshops to help people, um, teams improve their dynamics, their understanding, their compassion, their productivity. Mm. So I would love to connect with um, any of you out there. And you can also find more information about my one-on-one coaching program on my website, beyondyourtype.co. I love this. And we'll put everything, of course, in the show notes. And oh, this is this is very intriguing because I like, feel like the more different systems I learn, the more overlaps I see everywhere. And then yeah. from all these different angles, like it's almost just making me face myself. Like there's nowhere to escape. Like the same thing keeps coming up everywhere. And it's like, okay, well, what you going to do now? <laughs> it's time for the next step or facing it. So I appreciate you so much for introducing the system to me. Knew nothing about it at all. Um, but you got me there with those eight behaviors and triggers and ways of running. So yeah, love the conversation. Uh, I have absolutely loved being with you and learning more about what Vindy's internal world is like. And I, I hope that you and others see this as a, um, your type is, it's really who you're not. And it's a mask that you wear. You can learn to take off that mask and discover wholeness and your true self and access the full human experience with this amazing tool. That was beautiful. I will end there because that was beautiful. So Ellie, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm going to say until next time. Until next time, my friend. All right.